Today's reading is from Numbers chapter 14, page 150. That is Numbers chapter 14. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, O Lord, are with this people, and that you, O Lord, have seen face to face that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the desert. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, 
As surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert your bodies will fall. Every one of you twenty years or more who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you... Your bodies will fall in the desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community, which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this desert. Here they will die. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land, who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it, These men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they went up towards the high hill country, We have sinned, they said. We will go up to the place the Lord promised. But Moses said, Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up, because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies, for the Amalekites and Canaanites will face you there. Because you turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, In their presumption, they went up towards the high hill country, 
though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and Canaanites, who lived in that hill country, came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. Thank you very much, Leslie Ann. Um, hang on to that long chapter. Uh, keep it open. Uh, got some headings as well on the back of the service sheet. Um, we'll find our way through uh, in a moment. Um, here we are, election campaign, well underway. Um, it's getting interesting, isn't it? Um, the barrage of promises are coming thick and fast, aren't they? Um, I guess we're all experiencing that. Um, what have we got? We've got, um, we've got Labour guaranteeing uh, broadband into every home. Good. Um, Conservatives, 30 million new trees planted by 2030. Uh, and then you catch the Lib Dems. Lib Dems saying, I'll, I'll see your 30 million trees and I'll raise you 30 million more. 60 million trees planted by 2030. Uh, the promise is flood. Uh, and in a sense, the, the question is, who do you believe? You know, whose promises will you believe are true? Uh, and who, therefore, will get the cross in the box? Who will have your vote of confidence uh, come December the 12th? In all sorts of ways, Numbers 14 um, is doing something very, very similar. The uh, same sort of dynamic is at work here. Because promises are made, and the issue is, are they to be believed? And what will happen as a result? Uh, it's not action on climate change that um, is being promised here, but a completely new existence in a completely new land. God's promise is, is the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a, a land in which the people will be able to live and dwell and, and in that land to enjoy every single one uh, of the blessings uh, of God. And the question is, do they believe him? Do we? As Darren said, we were joining the story uh, with the people at the edge of the land. Uh, the reporters come back from these scouts. Uh, and the majority view, uh, ten of the scouts are saying, look, it may be a good land, but the people are huge. We have no chance. We'll, we'll never be able to take this land. And only two, Joshua and Caleb, Say, no, if the Lord is with us, we can do this. Uh, and then in the first verse of our chapter, chapter 14, uh, it is, as it were, that the people cast their vote. Their cross goes in the box. Uh, look at it, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Uh, first of our, our three headings, um, all of which sort of tie two things together. Uh, and this first heading, um, notice that behind grumbling, we find contempt. Uh, the, the grumbling's pretty clear, isn't it? Uh, the people are saying, you know, we wish we died in Egypt, 
or at least in the journey so far in the desert. That would be better rather than dying, as we're bound to do, uh, on the sword of these enemies. The plans are no good. This whole endeavor is a disaster. Better, they say, that we choose ourselves a leader and we travel back to Egypt and we see if we can negotiate some better terms and conditions for our slavery. That's the best they can come up with. And Moses and Aaron are appalled, verse 5. They fall face down in front of the whole assembly. And Joshua and Caleb join them, appealing to the people not to lose their nerve. It's there, verse 8. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But, but the appeal is too late, this, this last-minute um, appeal to the people. It, it is as it were that, that they're already in the voting booth. You know, the pencil is poised over the box, and the cross is going in. They even begin to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb, as if they were guilty of blasphemy. And it's at this point that the Lord himself appears, verse 11, and says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? And immediately we begin to see that this grumbling is a far more serious thing than we had imagined. That this grumbling is indeed a capital offense, worthy of death. Why? Well, because behind grumbling, we find contempt. Um, th- think of it like this, if you would. Um, imagine, um, imagine a family. Um, and imagine um, that, that the parents uh, have planned the holiday of a lifetime. Uh, for their children. Um, I don't know what it would be, a, a cruise around the Bahamas, um, a, um, uh, a month in Disneyland. Um, you know, you, you pick it. Um, and they're en route. Um, Mum and dad up front in the car um, and uh, the children all on the back seat on their way to the holiday. Only after a few hours, the grumbling begins. This is rubbish. This trip's stupid. Wish I'd never come. Why can't we just go home? I don't suppose there ever was a holiday, stupid parents. Rubbish parents. They couldn't even organize a holiday for us. Stupid rubbish. Don't want it. Contempt. After all the thought, the care, the energy, the expense that the parents have poured into the planning of this holiday... The joy and love that they had in mind to to share this holiday with their children, all that they were looking forward to, wanting to be there with them, enjoy it in relationship with them. And it's not as though the parents haven't tried to to persuade them. On the back seat in the car are brochures that show in glorious technicolor all the glories of the holiday to come. They've even arranged for somebody who's been to this particular resort to, to come and visit the family. 
and tell them about what a fantastic place it is. And yet, despite all of that, just not interested. You can shove your holiday. I don't believe you're even capable of giving me a holiday. This whole thing's a complete joke. Contempt. Doubting their parents' ability, doubting their parents' intention, doubting their parents' kindness and love. Contempt. There's a point in um, John's account of the life of Jesus where uh, we read Jesus speaking in this way. Uh, My father's house, Jesus says, has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Jesus promises this. It's one of many promises that Jesus makes to us. And and when you and I don't believe him, when we doubt these promises, when we behave as if there are no promises to be believed in, as if there is no future to enjoy. When we say, I don't believe that Jesus really can do that. I don't believe it can even be done. When we grumble and say, if only God made it clearer or simpler or easier. Do you see that we're treating him with contempt? It's not a trivial thing to hear God declare his promises to us and to refuse to believe in the goodness of them. To, to, as it were, put our wisdom above his. Now, I know what life's about. I I know what the future's about. I, I know the way this goes. It is to treat him with contempt. So first, behind grumbling... Uh, we find contempt. But then notice, secondly, that behind judgment, we find mercy. Uh, what follows next in the, in the narrative is a kind of an interchange, isn't it, between, um, between the Lord God um, and um, his prophet Moses. Uh, as we read it, it sounds as if God plans to cut off the people completely, and it's only because of Moses' intervention Uh, that God is persuaded to change his mind. Um, And in a sense, I think the dialogue is put here uh, to to give us an inside view, almost to allow us in and understand some some of the tensions that exist, if you like, in order that we might understand the character of God more clearly. It's not that... God needs somebody external to himself to persuade him to act in mercy. But, but I think that the dialogue helps us to understand what God is really like. Um, you'll see as we follow through. So in verse 12, God declares his intention to respond to the people's contempt by acting in judgment, to, to, to wipe this people out and begin again. But Moses responds by saying, look God, if you do that, 
everyone will conclude that you have failed. Because everybody knows that you brought the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, with, with mighty acts of power. Everybody knows you did that. And everybody knows that you've, you've met with them face to face. And everybody can see that you're leading them by your pillar of cloud uh, uh, by day and your pillar of fire at night. Everybody knows that they're your people and that you're doing this. And if you now fail to bring them into the land, well, everyone will conclude that you couldn't do it. Your very character, your reputation, your glory will be diminished as a result. And people won't know you for who you really are. And so Moses says, verse 17, May the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you've declared. And now Moses quotes God's words back to him there in verse 17. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion. That's what you said about yourself, God. So act in line with those great promises, and then everyone will see your glory. But but notice that Moses doesn't end the quotation there. He finishes uh, what it is that God declared about himself by continuing. Yet he, God, does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. It's a hard word, isn't it? And I can't help thinking that that if I were Moses, I think I would have stopped the quotation after the mercy-forgiveness bit. But he doesn't. And he doesn't because we need to understand that both of these things are true of God. That God is both perfectly just and also simultaneously perfectly loving. Which means that because of his justice, wrong must be punished would be unjust to do otherwise. But because of his mercy, God longs to forgive. How does he solve that? Well, come back to um, our car journey uh, for a moment. Uh, Because after this outburst of contempt from the back seat, a conversation springs up between mum and dad in the front. Look, that's it. We're going home. The way the kids are behaving here is utterly intolerable. We can't go through with the holiday now. Not not after they've spoken as they have. Yeah, I know, I know, but if we abandon the holiday, it'll just confirm what the kids are saying about us. Yeah, I realize that. But we, we can't let them treat us with contempt and pretend it doesn't matter. It just wouldn't be right. I know, you're right, we can't. But, but we do love our family. And, and we, we do want to find a way, don't we, to, to, to act in line with that love. You're right. Wait, I've got it. We are going to go home. They won't get this holiday. We'll wait 40 years and we'll take the grandchildren. Now, 
I risk, I risk in a major way uh, making this seem trivial and silly. Uh, so forgive me. I don't mean to do that. I, I just want to catch the flavor of it. Two things are needed. Because God is a God of justice, there does need to be judgment. can't just pretend that what happened didn't happen. The whole generation who spoke in this way will die out in the wilderness. They'll never see the promised land. But because God is a God of, of mercy and love, committed to the people, he will find a way of bringing blessing to that people. He doesn't just cast them aside and say, right, that's it, done. We'll start again with somebody else. No, no, he demonstrates his faithfulness and his commitment by ensuring that the promises tumble on down the generations and will come uh, to their children. The two combine, if you like, side by side. Do you see what God is helping us to see? That, that he is a God of justice, but he is a God of love too. And he holds them there together, side by side, in order that we might understand that. And thousands of years later, he would do it again. He would find another way, the definitive way, to demonstrate those two aspects of his character. Because when Jesus died on the cross, justice and mercy were there side by side again. You see, that punishment for sin was expressed. God is a God of justice. Sin must be punished. And Jesus died. Cut off because of sin. God is a God of justice. But simultaneously, God revealed his love and his mercy. Because Jesus died in our place. He died suffering the punishment for our sins so that we could be forgiven. God did it. So the cross provides for us the, the, the definitive demonstration of those two things about God, that God is a God of justice and God is a God of love. And he holds them together there. Which brings us to our final point. We've seen that behind grumbling is contempt. We've seen that behind punishment and justice we find mercy and, and now see finally that the behind works we must find faith at, at the severe risk of doing my holiday car illustration thing to death um, we'll just go back to the illustration for one more time because uh, Imagine now that in the back street, back street, the back seat of the car, you know, the kids realize that the parents are serious, that the car has turned around and they're headed home. So what do they decide to do? Uh, they think, we need to sort this. So they force their parents to stop the car. Out they jump, nine and 11-year-old, and they stand at the side of the road and start hitching a lift. We'll get there. We'll go on holiday on our own. Good plan. Disastrous plan. Hopeless plan. They've entirely missed the point. Because what's gone wrong here is, is not the fact that the holiday has been cancelled. 
and they're going to miss out on it. Now, what's gone wrong here is the terrible damage that they have done to their relationship with their parents. But do you see, at the end of the narrative here in chapter 40, we see the Israelites making exactly the same mistake. It's there, verse 39, uh, towards the end of the chapter. Um, when Moses reported this, re- reported how judgment had come upon the ten um, who um, had spread the bad report, when Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, now we're ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we've sinned. Did you see what's happening? That they're mourning, not because they've understood the terrible thing that they've done before the Lord. They're mourning because they're missing out on entry to the land. This isn't godly sorrow. This is worldly sorrow. They're not sorry because of the offense to God. They're sorry because they've missed out. And so their instinct is, is not to do what they should do in relation to the Lord, but just to try and sort out their entry to the land. But they're making the same mistake again because God has made a new promise. The new promise is to their children. But they don't believe that now, promise now. They just move on in the same way. And that's why their plan won't work. Verse 41. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. And Moses is right. It doesn't work. Their efforts to enter the land, it's an abject failure. And we're told why in verse 44. Because neither Moses nor the ark goes with them. There is something really, really important here. Um, and I want to do my best to try and capture it just as we finish. Um, let's say that you've stopped reading the Bible. Uh, maybe you've not read it for years. Maybe you've never read it. Or, or, or let's say that today is a rare time for you to be in church. That you've fallen out of church. Or, or maybe you've never been in it. Or let's say that in some other way, perhaps in a relationship or in your use of time or money, you're living as if there were no God. You're living as if the promises that he has made to us through Christ didn't exist. In other words, your life is saying to God, I don't believe. I don't believe your promises. I don't believe you're good. I don't believe you're worth following. I don't believe. And suppose this morning, as we look at God's word together, you see the seriousness of that. You see that behind grumbling, behind a dissatisfaction with God's promises, lies contempt. Well, can I say that if you find yourself in that place this morning, the solution is not to get out of the car and try and hitch a lift and sort it out on your own because you're worried that you might miss out. The big issue is that we've dishonored the Lord. 
And the solution is to come back to him, to stay in the car, to talk to the parents about the offense that you have caused. It begins with relationship. It begins by hearing God and believing him. The Christian life begins and continues with faith. It's not about our activity. It's not about the stuff that we do. And if we imagine that just renewing our energies to do stuff is going to sort this out, then we've missed the boat completely. I worry that sometimes I can stand up here and preach sermons. And in an effort to to, to point us to, to the obedience of faith, then all we hear is the obedience. And we imagine that it's up to us to to galvanize ourselves to do all this stuff. And we lose sight of the faith that must underpin it. It's never worked simply to do stuff in the hope that somehow that's enough to make us a Christian. Reading your Bible, coming to church, doing all sorts of Christian activities, none of that makes you a Christian. Being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage would turn you into a car. It just doesn't work like that. It is an issue of faith. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me so that you can be with me where I am. And the question to us this morning is, do we believe him? Do you have faith in that promise? Really? I know most of us are here most Sundays. And so most of us will be people who say that that's what we believe. But do we really? Is is our faith of, of, of such an intensity that it really is shaping everything about the way that we live? And if it's not, don't, don't just try and reshape the way that you live. Come back to the issue of faith. It's personal. It's personal between us and the Lord. God's promises are personal. Our response is personal. The Christian faith is personal. Don't commit yourself to do more stuff. Come to him. Hear his promises afresh. And meet them with faith. As we finish, what I'd love to do is is allow us time to do that. This isn't a theory. I'm not talking about some ideas. I'm talking about our relationship with the Lord. And he meets with us this morning. He speaks to us in his word. And we can respond to him in faith this morning. And I'd love to leave us a little bit of quiet now uh, for us to do that personally, individually, in our own hearts uh, and minds. Even if we find that all we have got the strength to do this morning is say Lord I believe help my unbelief Uh, that's a prayer that he will hear Uh, let's be quiet for a few minutes together
gracious Lord God, uh, you know that, um, um, that some of us this morning are facing hard and difficult things. Uh, setbacks that are um, hard for us to endure. Uh, but we recognize that uh, when, we, uh, when we grumble, when we complain, uh, when we uh, speak in that way, uh, then uh, we are so often uh, speaking as men and women uh, without faith. Uh, our grumbling uh, says to you that we don't believe in your good purposes. We don't believe in your plan. We don't believe that there uh, is a, a heaven before us uh, and a salvation uh, that grants us a relationship with you now and a place with you into eternity. Uh, Father, we're sorry uh, for uh, the way in which we malign your character uh, we uh, we fail to honor you and give you glory as we should uh, please would you forgive us uh, please would you help us um, to grasp your great and precious promises uh, with renewed faith uh, trusting in you uh, believing in your character uh, believing that you are both a God of justice uh, and a God of mercy and that you have made this known so gloriously through Christ. Uh, and we say to you, Lord, uh, that we do believe. Help our unbelief so that we might live more and more to your praise. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.